0: The thief on the cross in Luke 23 was never baptized, he never spoke in tongues, and he never joined a church. Yet when he prayed a simple prayer of faith, Jesus promised him, Today you will be with me in paradise. Should we conclude that a simple prayer of faith is the only requirement for salvation? Keep listening to hear Dr. David K. Bernard's response. Welcome to Apostolic Life in the 21st Century, a podcast dedicated to helping modern day believers live out the teachings of the first century church. This podcast is part of the teaching ministry of Dr. David K. Bernard. Dr. Bernard has dedicated his life to studying the Bible and helping believers apply its message to their daily lives. In Apostolic Life in the 21st Century, Dr. Bernard answers your questions about what the Bible teaches and how those teachings apply to everyday life. Thank you for joining us for this episode. This podcast is being released on the week of Easter, so Good Friday is coming up later this week. and That's, of course, the day that Christians remember commemorate the, the crucifixion of Jesus. We know from the Gospel accounts that Jesus was crucified between two thieves. One of the thieves cursed and reviled him, but the other thief turned to the first thief and rebuked him. And then he turned to Jesus, and he said something which has gotten a lot of people's attention. He he essentially prayed a very short prayer. He said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That's found in the Gospel of Luke, of course. And so Jesus turns to him, and he says, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. So a lot of people have pointed out that this second thief He never went to church, he never joined a church, he was never baptized, he never spoke in tongues, and yet Jesus said very clearly that he would be with him in paradise that very day. So should we conclude, and I would add that many people have concluded this, should we conclude that all it takes to be saved is to pray a simple prayer of faith?
1: Well, to answer your question, I think it's important to, first of all, understand when the new church Testament church was started. It's clear that the thief on the cross was not baptized in Jesus' name and didn't receive the Holy Spirit with the initial sign of speaking in tongues, as we find in the book of Acts. Of course, that's true of Adam, that's true of Noah, that's true of Abraham. So, what we understand is the New Testament church was started with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And we find this from multiple references. If you go back to the Great Commission in Luke's version, Luke 24, Jesus said, go back to Jerusalem and the gospel will be preached beginning at Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. Acts chapter one, Luke continues his narrative. Uh, Jesus explicitly says, wait until you receive the Holy Ghost. You'll be baptized with the Holy Ghost. And then after that, you'll be witnesses unto me. You'll go from Jerusalem, uh, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. And then there are many other verses of scripture that we could use. John chapter 7 says the Holy Ghost was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Uh, uh, John chapter 14, and you can continue reading through John chapter 16, Jesus explains I must go away. If I don't go away, the comforter, which is the Holy Spirit, will not come. But after I depart, then I'll send the Spirit. He will lead and guide you into all truth. He'll bring all things to your remembrance, whatever I've told you. Uh, Another example is Luke chapter 7, where Jesus commended John the Baptist um, and said, there's no no prophet greater than John, but the least in the kingdom of God is going to be greater than, he. So I'm just giving you just a few verses to support the understanding that the New Testament church began on the day of Pentecost in the city of Jerusalem after the ascension of Jesus Christ as recorded in Acts chapter 2. So that's when we find uh, the the message preached that the 12 apostles with Peter as a spokesman, but all 12 apostles endorse the message. And when the question was asked, what shall we do? Uh, How shall we be saved? How shall we be forgiven of our sin of murdering the Messiah? How can we now accept Jesus as our personal Savior? The answer was given unequivocally in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, with all 12 apostles at the same place, the same time, giving the same message how to be saved. Repent, be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And then verse 39 explains the promises unto you, your children are all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. So from that point onward, we find the New Testament church and we find this command in operation. And so Acts 2.38 in a nutshell describes our initial conversion experience, our uh, conversion initiation into the New Testament church specifically. Now, that does not mean no one was ever saved throughout history until the day of Pentecost. But there was a change of the age uh, where the new covenant came into effect. And this makes sense. The book of Hebrews says that a covenant doesn't come into effect, uh, and it uses uh, the testator or like a will um, it combines those two elements until the death of the testator. And so in order for the new covenant to come into effect, Jesus had to die, and of course he had to be resurrected to turn defeat to victory, death to life. So the new covenant couldn't come into effect until after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You really couldn't have... A new, the the church of the New Testament with the new birth experience as recorded in Acts two until after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So the thief on the cross then would have been saved under the old covenant, not the new covenant. Uh, he was an Israelite. He was a Jew. Uh, presumably, he had been circumcised. Presumably. Uh, He had participated in the sacrificial system, but somewhere along the way, uh, he fell away from truth. He violated the teachings of the Old Testament. Uh, He sinned. And so normally uh, when someone like that Um, God has always required repentance and faith. So someone like a thief, when he recognizes his sin and he wants to make it right with God, he would need to have a heart of repentance, a heart of faith, but then he would uh, uh, obey uh, whatever the Old Testament prescribed in his case. So typically he would go to the temple, he would offer a sacrifice uh, through the high priest. And uh, as we see um, in the book of Psalms, he would have a repentant heart, uh, but he, uh, f- faith is always shown to be real by obedience. So he would have had to be obedient to the covenant of his day, the Old Testament. Well, he's hanging on the cross. Obviously, uh, he has a repentant heart. He has uh, a changed heart, a heart of faith, um, and he believes in Jesus Christ as the Messiah. How much he fully knew about the identity of Jesus, it would be possible to say. But in some sense, he recognized Jesus as the Messiah uh, of Israel, the Lord and Savior uh, who was to come, and he put his trust in him. Well, at that moment, he couldn't get down from the cross and go to the temple, offer a sacrifice, and show his contrition to the priest. But Jesus Christ was the sacrificial lamb for the whole world, and Jesus Christ was our high priest. So I would argue that he was saved under the old covenant with Jesus Christ being his sacrifice and high priest. But now we're under the new covenant. And so the new covenant is in effect. We're still saved by grace through faith. God still requires a repentant heart. But today he doesn't require us to go to a temple and offer sacrifices through a priest. Instead, we can go directly to God. We can repent of our sins um, we can be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and then we can personally, individually receive the Holy Spirit. And so that's what we're commanded to do. And it would be um, wrong to try to use any one example from the Old Covenant. And and sometimes people misunderstand, Well, well, this is in the Gospels, this is the New Testament. Yes, but if you look at the time frame, since it's before the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus into heaven, you're still under the Old Covenant. You're still under the same teaching as the people, the saints of the Old Testament, and so that's how we would view the thief on the cross. Now, to the broader question: Well, what about deathbed conversions? What about you know a person's physically incapable of uh, maybe you know being baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and so on? And so, in a in a theological sense we have to simply give the message of scripture. We can't alter it. We can't make exceptions that the Bible doesn't make. Uh, For for instance, you know, people give hypothetical scenarios. What if you're in the middle of the desert and you repent of your sins and you're filled with the Holy Spirit and there's no water. So you're crawling in the middle of the desert to an oasis to get baptized and you collapse and you die. So are you going to hell? And that's not completely theoretical. I have actual cases in the United Pentecostal Church. Um, I had years ago a UPCI pastor tell me about his small son who had uh, hereditary disease, and but on his deathbed he received the Holy Spirit, but but he died and he wasn't able to be baptized. Uh, another UPC pastor told me of a couple who had received the Holy Spirit. In a Trinitarian church, he was giving them a Bible study, and they called and they asked, um, you know, we want to be baptized. But on the way to being baptized, they had a car wreck and they died. So, you know, the Roman Catholic Church has uh, a couple of doctrines. One is called the baptism of desire. So if you desire to be baptized, but you're physically prevented for reasons beyond your control before you die, then God will count your desires fulfilled likewise they have what they call the baptism of blood so if you convert to christ you're under persecution and you are martyred before you could actually be baptized then uh, god will count your 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 blood sacrifice as equivalent to baptism now these two doctrines are not mentioned in scripture so i mention them only to say while they may seem to be reasonable human uh, conclusions or uh, logical um deductions, uh, I think we should simply stick to the message of Scripture. So we preach the message of Scripture. We don't make exceptions or provisions that the Bible doesn't teach. However, we do trust the justice and mercy of God. So in the case of the small boy uh, that received the Holy Spirit, um, in the case of the couple, that was killed on the way to baptism, I have confidence that God has a plan for them. So if I were preaching their funeral, I would say, you know, they're in God's hands. We trust God. And there have been other cases where I remember someone, one of the men of our church when I was a pastor in Austin, Texas, he'd witnessed to his mother for years. She never came to God, but on her deathbed, she made a change. She repented. By that time, she was Uh, not really able to speak coherently, but he spent the night in prayer with her and the Spirit of God came and although she couldn't articulate clearly, he felt she'd received the Spirit. And uh, he performed, uh, he himself uh, took a pan of water and tried to immerse her as much as possible in the bed because she couldn't be moved. So he felt like she had had a true heart of repentance and she had submitted to the new birth. I, could I verify that? No. But I could just simply say she's in the hands of God. So when we're speaking, teaching and preaching, we've got to stick with the clear, objective message of scripture. We can't make exceptions that the Bible doesn't make. But we can always say God is both just and merciful. He will do what's right. If there's an exceptional case, uh, we trust him to apply his word his way. So I'm, I'm the preacher. I'm not the judge. So I can tell you, uh, what the word says, but God is the one who will apply it to any individual case. And so when I'm dealing pastorally, as in a funeral or in counseling, someone whose loved one has passed away, I will just say, you know, they're in God's hands. If there's some exceptional circumstances that we're not aware of, and, and that's not a compromise or a dodge because when you hear about someone or maybe read someone's historical account, you don't really know if they repented. You don't know if they received the Holy Spirit. You don't know if they spoke in tongues in private. Uh, you may not even know when they were baptized, they may have called on the name of Jesus. And while we don't know the circumstances, I'm content to just leave that in God's hands. Uh, but I am i don't think we can create a doctrine. And uh, so if someone is living the... the um, the clear teaching is put your faith in Jesus. If you haven't repented, repent. If you've repented, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. If you've been baptized some other way, get rebaptized. Acts 19. Receive the Holy Spirit um, with the expectation and keep pressing forward until there is the initial sign that we see in the New Testament of speaking in tongues. So it's very clear for anyone who's alive, we admonish them to complete that process. Um, but if someone has passed away and we don't always know the circumstances, even if we think we know the circumstances, we may not. And anyway, God is the judge. So I'm content to say, you know, if you think there's an exceptional case, you know, that's, but that's your personal opinion. Uh, but God is the one who will decide. Uh, but to summarize, no, um, the thief on the cross would not be an example of conversion. In the new testament church so that story would not justify an exception that story would simply say here's a, a man who truly uh, repented who truly had faith who trusted jesus christ as his savior and he uh, fulfilled the covenant of his day as much as physically possible under his circumstances with jesus christ being his uh, sacrificial lamb his temple and his high priest and so to, the, the lesson would be we too today should put our faith in Jesus Christ. We too should repent of our sins and we should, we should follow the new covenant, uh, and do everything that we can, um, to submit ourselves to water baptism in Jesus name and receiving the Holy Spirit, which everyone can do. And if there's some unusual circumstances that intervene, we always trust that God is a merciful and, and just judge and he will judge uh, according to his word. We can't change his word, but we can simply preach, teach, believe and obey uh, the word of God. And so the plan of salvation in the New Testament church is clearly stated in Acts 238. If you enjoy
0: this podcast, we encourage you to check out Dr. David K. Bernard's books. Dr. Bernard has written more than 30 books on biblical theology and Christian living and leadership. Visit Pentecostalpublishing.com and search David Bernard for a list of available titles. Enter promo code DKB10 at checkout to save 10% on your order. That's Pentecostalpublishing.com, promo code DKB10 to save 10% at checkout. Thank you for listening to this episode of Apostolic Life in the 21st Century.